pray. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17. I'm going to read through verse 32. Hear the word of the Lord. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For, in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask for your Holy Spirit to give us fresh hearts that we might come to this time of worship eager to know you, eager to love you, and eager to love one another. Help us, Lord, not to just go through the motions or to tune out your word because we are familiar with it. But, Father, I pray that through your Spirit you would quicken this time. Give us fresh hearts and eyes and ears that we may love you, hear you, and see you anew. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. It's a small town in upstate New York. Picturesque. The new pastor came first Sunday morning and he was very nervous to say the least. He was following a man who had pastored there for 35 years, a man who was greatly loved, but that pastor had retired. 
And now he was the new rector of this congregation. Things began well. As the weeks passed into months, he was encouraged, but something began to change. He noticed that there was a bit of an undercurrent where there was just a sense of dissatisfaction among the people. He got the feeling that many of them weren't happy, weren't happy with him. So finally he met with one of the lay leaders. Looking at the leader, he said, could you help me figure out what is going on? I just have this feeling that something is wrong. Father, the man said, well, pastor, it's true. I hate to say it, but it's the way you conduct communion. Communion? What do you mean? What, what's going on? Well, it's not so much what you're doing, it's what you're not doing. It's what you're, you're leaving out. The pastor was puzzled. He looked at the lay leader and he said, leave out, I follow the liturgy, I do everything that is supposed to be done. And the man said, no, you don't. You see, when our previous pastor served communion, before he would serve the, the juice and the bread, he would always walk over and touch the radiator. Then he would serve. Touch the radiator. I've never heard that as part of communion. And the man said, well, he did, and that's part of communion for us. Not wanting to leave this alone, the new pastor sought out the retired pastor and asked him about this. What's going on? What's this about touching the, the radiator? Did you do that, and why? <laughs> the former pastor laughed. He said, yes, I would always go over and touch the radiator before I serve the people because I wanted to discharge any static electricity so I wouldn't shock the parishioners when they came through the line. For over 35 years those people thought touching the radiator was part of communion. Now you know the story of the church of the holy radiator. Isn't it very easy to lose sight of things? Isn't it very easy to forget what is really important and what things are really about. Every Christmas we go through this. We have to pull out our buttons, our bumper stickers that say Jesus is the reason for the season. Because we are prone to forget. We face the danger of overlooking the meaning of what we're doing. That's very true when it comes to sharing the Lord's Supper together. Think for just a moment. If you've been in church for any period of time, how many times have you taken communion? I've pastored here almost, goodness, how long, 22 or 23 years now. If we take communion five times a year, which typically we do, think about that. Well over a hundred times, well over a hundred. That's within, you know, a few years. You see, one of the dangers we have is that we come to take the Lord's Supper without thinking about it. We just go through the motions. I eat the little wafer, I, I drink the drink, I hear the pastor say, do this in remembrance of me, but we never really stop to reflect on what it means and to worship God and to give thanks. If we are in danger of going through the motions, there's also another danger. And it's the danger where we do this and we think about the death of Christ and his resurrection 
But we don't think about the ramifications of it. We don't think about the relationship that we have with God, and we never think about it beyond ourselves and Jesus. You see, there's a real danger that when we come to share the Lord's Supper, we only think about doing this in terms of me and Jesus. So we only see communion in terms of me and Jesus. That communion is about what Jesus has done for me. So we take this individualistic mindset and we bring it to the Lord's table. See, coming to the Lord's table should be more like a family reunion. It should be where the people of God come together with a sense of, of unity. A sense of being bound together by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ where there are, are hugs and smiles and even tears at moments as we embrace one another and really rejoice in the fact that we are family in God. But I'm afraid often we don't approach it like that. Instead, I think sometimes we approach communion like we approach eating at a Japanese hibachi restaurant. If you've ever been to a hibachi restaurant, you know you have the grill in the middle. And then you come and maybe you sit with your family, but all the seats are around the grill. And you know what inevitably happens? It's your family and then these strangers show up. And they sit at the hibachi grill with you. And you kind of look at them and nod. And you think, I really don't want to talk to them, but they're here, so I'll be friendly. Unless their conversation is really interesting, then I'll eavesdrop on it. I'm afraid that's how we approach communion. I'm here, and I'm here with those that I like and I'm comfortable with, and everybody else is just kind of, of here. Well, while the Lord's Supper is certainly about how Jesus died for each of us individually, it's also about how Jesus brought people together to become the people of God. That's what the church at Corinth had forgotten. They'd forgotten that they were one. You see, they had forgotten that Christians form the people of God. The imagery that is given for the church throughout the Old Testament, and specifically in Corinthians, is always of a multiplicity of people coming together as one. The church is referred to as a house. It's referred to as the body of Christ. The church is referred to as the temple. Well, a house is more than just one plank of wood. A body is more than just one part. A temple is more than just one brick. Chapters 11 through 14 in Corinthians focus on the problems of thinking of the faith only as individuals. Now the passage I read this morning really breaks down into three parts, and they are this. Verses 17 through 22 addresses the problem. In verses 17 through 22, Paul says, here's the issue, church. Then in verses 21 through 26, he gives the solution. Here's the problem now in verses 21 through 26. Here's how you remedy this. And then he concludes in verses 27 through 32 with a warning. So you have the problem, the solution, and then a warning as to what will happen if this issue is not remedied. You see, the problem at Corinth is one we face together today. That as we gather together, there's a real temptation to define what we do, not by the gospel, but by the way society has taught us to think. From the first, very first in verse 17, Paul says, I don't commend you, for when you gather together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. That's a very difficult way to begin. 
He's saying when you gather together, it's not for the good, but you're really worse off. And why? Verse 18, he says, in the first place, when you come together, there are divisions. Now, Paul's already addressed this earlier in the book, where the church was divided into factions. Some saying, we follow Paul, some Peter, some Apollos. And Paul has written to say, that's not the way it is to be. You are to be one, one in Christ. It's interesting in verse 19, he says, I believe it, because there must be factions in order to show who are genuine among you. Paul is recognizing the reality that in this sinful world, when you have a group of people, there's going to be disagreements that arise. But those disagreements can nearly serve the glory of God because they can reveal the authenticity of one's faith. It's as if he is saying that when you are in that crucible of conflict, those who seek reconciliation, those who seek forgiveness, those who seek to make things right and to bring about peace, reveal themselves to be children of God. Those who don't leave room for their faith to be questioned as to the genuineness of it. So that's why Paul says there must be, and that can be a good thing, however, are you working to bring reconciliation? Now I want you to keep two things in mind as we proceed through this text. First, they did not meet in church buildings. They met in homes. So when he talks about the church gathering together, he's talking about a home that would be open and the congregation would come to partake of worship and communion together. The second thing to keep in mind is this. The Lord's Supper they shared was part of a larger meal. Think of it when we gather together for our Christmas fellowship meal. Lots of food. Communion would be shared as a part of that. So communion was a part of this larger meal. And here's what was happening. They were treating that meal just like any non-believer would treat a party at their house. They were acting like this was just another event. They would show up only to eat and drink. Like most of us have a dining room in our house, many of the houses at this time had a room set apart for eating. That room would have a table, then places for people to sit. And apparently what was happening is when they had this meal and communion, the Lord's Supper was a part of it. People would get there early to get a, a place near the table. And they would begin eating all they could and even drinking all they could so that people who came later got nothing. They were left on the outside looking in because selfishly those who got there early would just come and they would get all they could with no thought about who would be coming later. That's why he says in verse 21, in eating everyone goes ahead with his own meal. People come in and they're hungry and others are already drunk. Paul says two things here that are startling. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you're eating. It's not the Lord's Supper because you're not thinking of others. Isn't that scary to think if he said that about us? Oh, you're coming and you're partaking of the elements, but that's not the Lord's Supper. You may be going through the motions, but that's not really what it's about. And then he also says part of the reason that that's not the Lord's Supper is found in verse 22. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? Those who come and get nothing and feel left out have a sense of shame that they don't belong. Now, how do we apply this? This seems far and removed from us because 
We're not eating a full meal. We're not meeting at a house. But the principle here is this. Our identity as a congregation is to be shaped by the gospel, not individualism and not the culture around us. And what that means is, is that we are to consider others. We are to be servants to others. We cannot ignore how we treat others when it comes to sharing in the Lord's Supper. See, I recognize that when we pass the plate, it's never really been a problem with people raking off the little wafers into their pockets to save them for later. Now, we'll be watching for that today. So the issue is this. How do you treat others? How do we treat one another within the body of Christ? Because taking the Lord's Supper, believing it's only about you and Jesus, is to misunderstand it. The Lord's Supper is about Jesus, you, and the other believers. That's why Paul holds up the sacrificial death of Jesus as the solution. Verses 23 through 26, he explains what Jesus did when he initiated the Lord's Supper. He says the solution to the rampant individualism that says it's just about me and Jesus is to remember what Jesus did. There's a common thread through here. Notice in verse 24 that the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he'd given thanks, he broke and he says, this is my body that is for you, given for you. Verse 25 talks about his sacrificial death. In the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. See, the common thread in all of this is sacrificial love expressed toward others. Paul says, come back and remember this. Now this remembering, this remembrance is not just about re reciting the facts. This remembering is like when a, a soldier is on the battlefield or an EMT is called to an accident and their trainer says, remember your training. To the soldier in the midst of combat, that sergeant says, remember your training. That, that manager, the, the leader of the EMT squad says, remember your training. What are they saying? Remember what you've been trained to do and do it. Do this in remembrance of me is saying, remember the sacrificial death of Jesus and live it. Remember what Jesus did and live it. Put this into practice. Put it into practice. Love one another sacrificially. Don't put self first. Love others unconditionally. And these warnings, this, this teaching is not to be taken lightly because there are strong warnings that are given to it. Look at verse 27. If you eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, you are guilty concerning the body and the blood of Jesus. Examine yourself. Just like we are instructed by doctors to look for the warning signs of heart attack or stroke. He is saying examine yourself, look for the warning signs to see if you are in danger of not thinking of others. Verse 29 tells us what we're looking for. If anyone who drinks, eats and drinks of the bread, I'm sorry, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's what we're looking for. That's the examination. 
You see, in that verse, in verse 29, where it says, without discerning the body, it is not a reference to the death of Jesus Christ. Now, earlier he makes reference to that in verse 27. If you partake of it in an unworthy manner, you're guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. So in verse 29, when he says, without discerning the body, if that's a reference to Jesus, where's the blood? Why has he omitted that when throughout this passage he has said consistently the body and the blood of Jesus? No, the body here is a reference to the body of believers. This isn't the first time Paul has used this language. Look back to 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 through 17. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16 through 17, Paul writes, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. So in 1 Corinthians 11, when he says, anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, he's saying this, if you partake of the Lord's Supper without thinking of your relationships with other believers in the body of Christ, you're taking it in an unworthy manner. Our examination must begin then with this question. How are you treating others in the body of Christ? As we share the Lord's Supper today, are you mindful that He has saved you and placed you in a body of believers? This means we have to take a hard look at our relationships. If there are broken relationships, am I working to be an agent of reconciliation? I recognize relationships are complex. They are complex because of our sin, our pride, our anger that gets in the way, our selfishness. But always think of what Paul wrote when he said, as much as is up to you, live at peace. Are you working toward reconciliation? If I could ask this to further continue the examination, do you seek ways to serve the body? Are you involved in trying to serve others? see this passage taking of the Lord's Supper means we have to consider how we can minister to each other how we can be involved do you seek to build others up with your words or tear them down are we content just to have individualistic lives that don't think of others see, this passage is saying that when we gather together we must think of one another we must live that. So today when we come to the Lord's Supper, we must put this into practice. This is not just about Jesus and you. It's about Jesus, you, and your fellow believers. I want to ask you to bow your head with me now. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing in preparation. And Nathan and I will be here at the front if you need to respond. But before we do that, I want to ask you to consider these areas. As you profess faith in Jesus Christ, is your faith shown in how you treat others?
Is there unforgiveness in your life? Anger that's turned into bitterness that has taken root and is eating you alive and causing you to continually feel anger? I encourage you today, repent of that. Are there relationships that you've been content just to say, well, let it go? Now, once again, I recognize the complexity of relationships. and There may not be anything you can do, but I would ask you in your heart of hearts, are you willing? If the opportunity were there for reconciliation, would you pursue it? Are you willing to serve others? Father, this morning, help us to consider the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Help us to consider that He has died for us and redeemed us. Father, help us to consider others. Forgive us of our selfishness, our pride. Forgive us, Father, for where we've not built others up and rather we've been critical and harsh. Let us come to the table. Come to the table as the body of Christ. In your name I pray.